0: Alright, hey, what's up? This is Evan. And Michael. And this is Dungeon Talk Episode 7. Seven.
1: A difference so, of opinion. So, <laughs> we've got a couple
0: <laughs> things. Uh, me and Michael were having a conversation just a few minutes ago that lasted for an hour about sandbox gaming and how he's trying to create this sandbox world, this really open world where we can do whatever we want, but it led to a couple hiccups with the way our characters are developing and the way the story is developing. Right. So we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But since we were talking about the D&D Academy theme right. and how we're going to start incorporating like lessons or ta- or uh, like class. classes yeah. like 101, like Hero 101, Right. this is your first pop quiz. Yay, me. Okay. So the way it's going to work is, you know, when somebody's a... Usually when somebody does this, they're trying to trick you into saying something stupid. Right. That's not what this is. Okay. This is just to get interesting answers, but you just have to say the first thing that so comes to your head. you're not tricking
1: me into saying something stupid. You're just counting on the fact that I will, in fact, say something stupid. I know you're going to say something stupid <laughs> right. just because you're it's... You're not you. tricking me. You're just right. setting me up for failure. All, All right. So the word association... It'll throw...
0: It'll, I'll throw a couple questions at you that have nothing to do with D&D and then a D&D question. Okay. Ready? Sure. Go. Yes. All right. What is your favorite color? Blue. Which do you like better, cats or dogs? Cats. Really? Yeah. Which is your favorite football team?
1: Right now it's the Denver Broncos. Gil, Peyton, Manning.
0: What character class have you had the most rewarding play or memorable play? Wizard. Who's hotter, Michelle Obama, Nancy Pelosi, or Janet Reno?
1: Michelle Obama.
0: Boxers or briefs? Boxer briefs. Whose game have you played in as a player did you have the most fun in i.e who has been your favorite dm to play under brandon what country would you move to if you had to leave the united states oh
1: canada
0: what has been your favorite boss or npc that you created
1: oh geez uh quickly dugan okay who's dugan dugan's input and import emporium he's an npc i use in a lot of different games you may actually Wait, remember.
0: I think I remember him from a game that I played. Yeah, in he's, a,
1: he's a he's a retired adventurer who set up like a he's like an adventurer shop. But there's always in every game there's a mystery around who he is and what's going on with him. He's kind of fun to play. He doesn't allow halflings into his shop.
0: I can't remember what our story was or how. He, I just
1: know that name. Yeah, he was in one of the games. I think. That Wait, you, the,
0: in, I think the game that I played in was he was actually bad, and in his shop was. His shop was surrounded by like magic and we couldn't get into it. We had to get into it and it was surrounded by magic. He had a
1: little shop, but there was always stuff there. And what happened is there was like a teleportation circle inside his shop and he would teleport to places where he had merchandise stashed and then bring it in. And the thing is, you guys never got there. He wasn't actually bad. He was good. He was framed and he was actually kidnapped. So when you oh. got into a shop, you thought he was evil, but but you guys never got that. Far. We
0: always murder the wrong guy <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> Speaking of murdering the wrong guy. So what made what made makes Dugan your favorite guy? Do, is like do you have do you do you feel like he's based on someone you already know and you and you really have a feel for his character traits or
1: Well, and actually the more I think about it, there's another one that I would probably put on even playing ground with him, which is Evelyn who's the the shopkeeper or the innkeeper that you guys played in that campaign where you're little kids. I think you remember playing that one. She's the elf in the village that doesn't like elves. But what I like about both those characters is that there's more to them than what it seems. And in a lot of cases when you have an NPC, particularly when they're the innkeeper uh, or the shopkeeper, most players assume they're there to provide a service. I need a new weapon, I go there. I need a night's rest, and I, I go there. But if you if you interact with them, then you're rewarded because they can keep adding more and more depth Dugan, for example, being a former adventurer has a lot of advice and expertise that he could offer. And in some of the games I've played with him, if the characters befriend him, then he might provide them with like magical weapons and armor. And as you know, my games, there's very little magic, uh, very little magic items, I should say. So to have a, a, basically a shopkeeper who can loan out artifacts, honestly artifacts like in artifacts, but powerful magic items is a big deal and you only get there if you develop a relationship with him over time. He doesn't sell them to you right off the bat, but he will over time if you... So this,
0: so the character Dugan has probably come up in lots of your games that you've created, yes. but you might just use different names for him well, if it's the same people or...
1: I mean, if it's the same group, I'll change the name. But in different groups, it's almost always Dugan's Import Emporium. And in some games, he might be evil. I'm not saying he's always the same, but there's usually a Dugan somewhere. Yeah. And if you spend time with him, more and more interesting things can happen. There's there's more depth to him than just, hey, he's a guy who, here's a gold, I get a new sword. If you actually spend time talking to him, then there's a reward to that. Does he
0: ever end up having being like, oh my God, it was Dugan all along? Well, what's
1: funny is in that game you're talking about, that's where you guys got to. You thought it was we, Dugan. Right, right, right. But right. There was, again, there was an additional depth to the story where he had been kidnapped and then they were using his shop to do evil things. So it looked like he was the bad guy. Cause I actually still remember that game we were in. Jeff was in it who um, he game with us for a while. Yeah, I think yeah, he's yeah. A, like Texas now, like the uh, school for building video games. And Bye. he's like, Dugan, <laughs> you know, he thought he, like when it was revealed that the secret uh, uh, tunnel went to Dugan's shop and made him look like he's the bad guy. It was always like that bastard Dugan. Cause up till then he'd always been kind of a helpful old doddering fool. And then to find out he's the master criminal was a big deal. Was that
0: the one where we were fighting ghosts in his shop in between these bookshelves? It wasn't
1: ghosts, but yes, you were were in his shop. I remember that as a
0: memorable encounter. And there was something really cool about that. I don't know that it was...
1: It was very creepy. There were these creatures, and I can't remember their names right now. They're in fourth edition. And the way they're designed is they're a little like... Two or three feet tall, sort of like goblin gremlin looking things. They can move really fast. In fourth edition, they can move, attack, and move at the same time.
0: And they were just kicking the hell out ca- of us at first. Plus,
1: uh, it was dark, yeah. and they can see in the dark. And I kept doing this little creepy hee <laughs> hee <laughs> voice. So it'd be like you're walking around, I said, <laughs> and then then you'd like, get a slice along your ankle, and then they would move were they, on. Are they
0: supposed to be like gremlins? Like kind the, of. Kind of like the. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah
1: well, that was more of a george bush but you they know, get
0: the, enjoyment out of causing pain and anguish okay right.
1: so I, I just think that was a good job that i did as a dm i'll pat myself on the back of role playing that in a very interesting kind of creepy way
0: that was a good yeah because I, I, that was memorable i still remember that well that
1: was the other one you played in that you told me you liked is when you, you were fighting the um
0: the wizard on the tower
1: no no the wizard on the tower i'm, I'm having a, a brain <laughs> moment right now it's the uh, umber hulk and you were actually yeah. climbing down a rope, mm-hmm. and then the Ember Hulk attacked you, and you were like a cat toy swinging mm-hmm. back and forth by yourself. And then you eventually killed it, had to run through its tunnel, and jump back into the other fight that was going did on. Did I kill it, or did somebody else kill it? I know it died. I can't remember if you killed it, but I know you were by yourself, or kind of segregated. You were able to kill it, and mm-hmm. eventually you had to run through its tunnel. If you're,
0: listen- if you're a DM and you're listening to this, just throw in, like, if you're... If you're- PCs are going through a dungeon or a cave or a mountain or anything, just throw in a uh pit. hole uh, or pit. a pit in the ground and put something shiny at the bottom. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and so that when they climb down there, so so they'll probably lower a rope down. Yep. And then that's what we did. We like lowered a rope and down. The I,
1: hole, cut the rope.
0: Yeah. We used to like this claw <laughs> just comes out and goes snip yeah. and I was like, Oh, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Boom. Uh, yeah but that was such a it was it was funny and i was i was worried i mean i was at the bottom of a pit with an umber hawk right which is not a good thing no so yeah that was really good okay uh, moving along was the next one what game have you played in as a player did you have the most fun in or who was your favorite dm to play under brandon what what about Brandon did you think made him the best dm
1: well again we talked a little bit about this last time Brandon's my my good friend we played in college together very creative one of the most creative people I've ever met even though he has no sustainability he usually plays one he's the one
0: that would just become uninterested in his own Own games after usually
1: after one or two sessions at most but they were always very creative very descriptive and he would put you in unusual circumstances which you know this was Earlier in my career playing D&D, where a lot of things were the first time I had been through them. It might be old hat for for other people, but he was just putting me in situations that I didn't expect. They weren't the typical, for me at the time, D&D situations. And I don't know, I just found a lot of enjoyment out of them. He put me in very interesting situations. And again, the NPCs were always very creative, very well thought out. He role-played them well. So I just felt immersed in that story.
0: Are there elements of his DMing that you... Try to emulate, yeah
1: the 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 kind of the creativity as far as making it not what you think, whether that be like a Dugan who who who's just a shopkeeper, but he's actually an ex-adventurer who may be the good guy and you think mm-hmm. he's the bad guy. Like I constantly want you to to reevaluate and don't assume.
0: Those are the kind of um, plot webs that I'm that aren't in my game. I'm DM DMing my first campaign right now. And, uh, those kind of plot webs aren't in there where this basically my characters that you, that you've met or dealt with in my game are white or black. Like, okay. wait, I didn't mean, that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I had a Michael Jackson man in the mirror moment. Yeah.
0: Uh, like they just wear their colors on their sleeve or right. whatever. So if the, they're
1: good, we kind of recognize it If they're right bad away. And best. then
0: they have, they don't change you know there's no there isn't really a mystery to the characters in my game it's more just about trying to i'm at this point i'm just i'm still fleshing out the story like i have the the main the beginning the middle and the end but all the details in the middle for how you guys get from point a to point b and how the story comes together how the web is spun I'm still trying to flesh and out as I go that's, along. Uh,
1: for me, at least, is the most difficult. Even, again, going back to you know trying to be a writer and working on novels, I always know I have a great beginning. I always feel like I have a great ending. You better put out a book at some point really in- soon because on every podcast,
0: <laughs> you have mentioned, by the way, I would like to be a writer. and, I would-
1: well, and well, this is something I actually want to talk about. One of my, my good friends back from uh, when I used to live in Kentucky, he created something he calls Cal COW, C-O-W, which is Creative Outlet Withdrawal. And when you're doing stuff that doesn't allow you to be creative, you kind of get that urge and you want to do it for me right now. D and D is kind of taken over as my creative outlet. So the time that I used to spend writing, I'm now working on my campaign or I'm doing stuff on the website or doing stuff on the podcast. So I actually, I haven't written a word on any of my stories probably since we started this podcast. Are you
0: working on a few different stories?
1: Well, yeah, I have. Uh, there's uh, one novel that I've been writing off and on for years. I actually at one point had a f- completed draft. And then much like first drafts from new novelists, it was terrible. Uh, I tried to get it published. I went through the typical thing and you're trying to get an agent trying to do some cold calls. I got rejected. I got one letter that was kind of nice about it. Like, hey, this is not bad, but not for us. So I started reworking on it, and since then, I've been constantly reworking on it. And Do you think
0: it's the it still has the potential? Oh, yeah. It's I, just the execution is a little off? Absolutely. I think
1: it does have potential, but if I didn't, I probably wouldn't be a writer. But I've had enough people who— Yeah, if you don't like your own stories. If you don't like your own stories, there's probably an issue there. Uh, but And you know this about me. I'm a bit neurotic. I mean, I, I tell I have undiagnosed ADHD. I have a bit of an OCD. I have rewritten the first chapter of that novel easily a hundred times. I'll write it. I'll have somebody read it. And they'll say, well, why don't you change this one line? Okay. And then I'll rewrite the whole thing. How I,
0: how long? How many pages is the first chapter?
1: Uh, 12, maybe. That's that's typical double space, 250 words per page. Would you let me read it? Yeah. I, I think I actually gave it to you at one point. You probably just haven't read it.
0: Well, you gave me a short story. You gave me a short story okay. once.
1: I thought I gave you the first. But yeah, but I can, do, I can do that. No problem. Uh, so at some point in the future, I hope to publish it. It's going to be called The First Betrayal because there's going to be more of them. And this is the first one. And so this had nothing to do with D&D for the last 20 minutes. Let's All right.
0: On. Um, I really wanted to talk about uh, that. You're a, you say you're a cat person. <laughs> what <laughs> well, the hell? I have. You I, don't have any cats.
1: Well, I don't have any cats because one of them died of cancer. And it cost me $4,000 to kill that cat. I love my wife. To, I could have done it. I know. I love my wife to death, and she's like, "Well, we should try." And we went to the vet, and they're like, "Well, you should try. Let's try this." So basically, my cat went through chemo. And it was oh, like 140 bucks this a week. Was just throwing up all over the house. And... Yes, it was terrible, and it had epilepsy. So my cat would just stop. Its eyes would get really big, and it would start pawing the air, and then it would fall <laughs> over, which was funny and sad at the same time. At
0: least he was giving you a comedic performance. <laughs> there was a lot on going the way on out. there,
1: uh, but eventually, it stopped working, oh, and the cat man. died.
0: How long did from the time you knew? He had cancer until you find, he about, finally died. about three months. oh Well, that's not okay. Yeah, but there were
1: there were like we had, we had a couple surgeries we paid for. We, we had literally chemo every week that we were doing, so there was just a lot of stuff going on. Um, the vets really just kept giving my wife hope that it might work, it might work, it might work. So we kept trying it. It didn't work, and the cat died anyways. Our other cat. Uh, ran away we we assume we had a the cat that died of cancer was an inside cat only we had another cat that would go in and out because we have a doggy cat door and it just went out and never came back so we have a dog currently but i've actually had a cat much much longer than i've mm. ever had a dog
0: okay what character class has had the most rewarding play or memorable
1: for me most of the time I play a wizard and, I, and I've told you that you've before. played that
0: more than any other class. And, and I
1: don't play that often, but when I do play, I almost always play a wizard, uh, which kind of goes back to, we talked a little bit in some other podcasts and just on our own about how I don't mind the, the traditional Vin- Vincian or Vincene or however you pronounce wizard, uh, kind of spell slot fire, forget magic that in D and D next, they're talking about trying to find ways to get a- away from that. Or What do you mean? Option. What do you mean by that? Well, um, traditional like original D and advanced dungeon dragon second edition third edition so on and so forth the traditional way that magic happens for a wizard is you have a number of slots per day per level based on your level mm-hmm. you memorize a spell you fill up those slots mm-hmm. once you've casted those spells they go away and there's optional systems and there's other games where it's a lot more freeform you have mana points. You have spells that, you know, again, like in 4th edition, you have at-will spells, so you can cast them as many times as you want. Uh, you have encounter spells and daily spells. Where, in, you know, in, again, the old-style D&D, once you— first level, you pretty much had one spell. So a wizard usually would have magic missile, maybe sleep. So in a traditional D&D game in 1st edition, you walk into the room, there's the first encounter, there's a bunch of kobolds, you cast you magic missile, load. and you're done— for that day, quote, air quote, mm-hmm. of adventuring. But what's rewarding about that is given a little bit of time, you know, part of it's can you survive? So it's kind of like a challenge. Like, can I keep my guy alive until I get to third or fourth level? And then it's like a resource management. And a lot of people don't like that. And that's a lot of the comments you hear about d and Next and people talking about not going back to that or having other options. But for me, I enjoyed that. Uh, it's sort of like playing chess. I, I like to know, can I outsmart you know not necessarily the d m but the game they're creating by picking the right spells, using them the right way, holding off when i need to, using them when i need to to me that's rewarding
0: so that's kind of um i have i haven't played battletech yet, but i started the reason i the first d and d podcast that i started listening to was um uh fear the boot. fear of the boot and they go back and forth a lot between um they play like d and d Shatter run and they play. Um, Battletech a lot and listening to them talk about Battletech that's kind of that that chess style of play uh, along with that so you have a tabletop and you have a really strategic positioning of of a battlefield and it's a battlefield you know um and then that resource management when it comes to like your mech and other people's mechs, because like you can you have different weapons that you can use, um, but this weapon may only be work on this. Then as you you everything you do, everything you do um, in your mech generates heat, and your he- mech can overheat. So when you fire a weapon. I- I haven't played the game. This is from listening to other people talk about the game, and I think right. this is the way it works. When you fire a weapon, you, it generates heat. When you move, it generates heat. And so everything you do, um, you have to worry about like overheating. You have to worry about wasting ammunition. You have to, so right. that whole that – re- that, that really taking a long time to think about, I, I like that. Like, wh- what am I going to do here? And this – that, that making this one decision on this turn that might seem minuscule might turn out to be devastating like five turns from now, like right. I shouldn't have done it. Right. And I like that resource management right. and that strategic. For me, as,
1: as Planet Wizard, that's one of the benefits, that's one of the joys that I get from that. But I also see the other side of the argument where, you know, you're this you know, student of these mystical cosmic powers and you can do these crazy things. But it seems like a fair that, trade-off. Know, once a day and then you're done. Well, and what I've done in art right now, we're playing three point five, the the game that we're playing. We want to to try D and D next. I'm really pushing for us to have a and D next play test. Uh, and I think we mentioned this before. The problem is that Rob's playing a ranger, you're playing a dusk blade, and Jared is playing a monk. Yeah. None of those three character classes are currently in any of the rule sets. And while we could probably make up our own to an extent, I don't think that would be a fair test of the system. When three quarters of the classes are our own version of them, so I want to wait until we got some more classes to play with. But one of the things that I've done in the 3.5 game is I've gave Nico's character Rook, who's a wizard, a generic magic attack, and that's all it is. It's basically what a crossbow would be, but it's magic. We even call it it's just a little bolt of magic he can cast. Every turn he wants to, it's, it's the same power level as a crossbow, basically, except it uses his intelligence for the attack modifier rather than dexterity.
0: And that's something that you have done completely on. on that's yeah. just a... Well,
1: it's kind of based on D&D Next does that with Magic Missile. There, there are certain oh. spells, even though D&D Next does use... But
0: Magic Missile isn't in 3.5?
1: It is, but it's a first level spell that you would have to spend you a slot You have to
0: memorize, it. right. and it's not, a, it's not an at will. At will. Well.
1: Because there is no such thing as at-will in 3.5. I got gotcha. you. So I I gave him an at-will, my version of it, because I think it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make him any more powerful because he could always just use a crossbow, which is a lot A lot of wizards do. They have a dagger, a staff, a slinger, a crossbow, or to the, the traditional weapons. And At least this way, he's still being magical. It still fits his character concept. It doesn't give him any greater advantage, but it fits, in my mind, more what a wizard should be like. So it's kind of a 3.5-slash-5 <laughs> hybrid what's, thing.
0: What's the craziest... Um wizard spell that you have used in a game like you've gotten to a real high level and just done something insane
1: i really unfortunately i don't play that you much your
0: penis six inches
1: oh no uh grease mount are the two oh and large so grease mount and large are the three uh greatest spells D D's ever created for that <laughs> but <laughs> i don't get to play and a whole lot i'm usually dm so i don't have a lot of characters that have gotten high. so you level. have a Play
0: it, been able to play a wizard to a real high no, level. No, I think
1: six levels, the highest I've ever had any character. I had one game we went to 12, but we had a deck of many things and it boosted my level. So it, it wasn't like I got to that point. Um, but some of the crazy things that I've seen people, because that's, again, going back to old style D&D, one of the things that was enjoyable was how crazy could you do stuff with magic, like finding ways to, to make it work, using Phantasmal Wall, uh, you know, Disintegrate, Sphere of Annihilation, lightning bolts that get rebounded off of mirrors. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff that people did. That was fun for me. You know, I think D&D has kind of grown more realistic. And again, I use that word, air quotes, mm-hmm. that it, you kind of get away from that type of just crazy stuff happening so that it makes the game make more sense for everybody because if you have a wizard who can do some of the stuff that wizards can do in first edition why do you even need a fighter at a certain point they, they, that whole lateral versus um, quadriatic advancement which we've talked about before and I don't want to get all into here I don't know I, I enjoy playing a wizard I want to play a wizard that gets to that power where I can do it, crazy stuff it seems like
0: it's a fair trade off you're going to start weak but you're going to become more powerful than probably anybody else in the party right um, but kind of what it seems like is that there's just, well, this is just my impression of you just telling me about it right now, but that it just seems like somebody, people complaining that they can't do enough with the wizard. Um, it kind of seems like somebody who gets the cheat code for their video game so that they can have endless ammo because it's not, because it's not enough for them to just, Get what what the game gives to them, right? And they they got to have more. Um,
1: well, I think what the biggest argument for me is that it comes down is how you're playing D D. There's really no wrong way to play D and D, I guess, as long as everybody's having fun. But if you're playing a game that's very heavily focused on combat, I mean, to the point where that may be all you really do is have combat after combat with sort of a thin story thread between them, then as a wizard, it would really suck because after the first battle which may be the first of four or five battles in one session, you are pretty much done where the fighter can attack every round. The Mm -hmm. rogue can attack every round. The cleric can do more, not necessarily spells, but they're more of a fighter in the middle. You know, all the other character classes, their damage output doesn't change too much from battle to battle to battle, as long as they have hit points and they're up, but a wizard, you either have to just not cast spells so you can save them for later so you rely early on on non-magical attacks, which could be, you know, the spear, the sling, the, the crossbow. So you're not really playing a wizard. You're playing a really crappy fighter. And then maybe the third battle and, aha, here's my perfect time to use fireball. But then now you're done again. So if you're just going combat to combat to combat, then yes, I think the wizard should be made differently so, they, so that everybody gets to contribute the same way. So... Go, uh, but I don't play the easy that way.
0: Is that the way uh, it started with, like... Uh, oh when D&D started in the 70s and there was the wizard class, it was it, um you, these are your spells, first, second level, third level spells. Um, once you know them, you got to memorize them, then you use them once a day and then they're gone. Is that how it was then when it started? From,
1: from my memory, yes. Again, keep in mind, this is, I was 12 years old when well, I started. Well, I wonder
0: what that, so I wonder what that thought process of this is how, you know, someone was creating this. Someone was making this well, up. How, where was that thought process that this is how a fake, this fake character, a wizard, <laughs> right? This is how they work. Like going back through books or movies well, well, or th- you know, if
1: you go back and read some of the original, like the first edition DMG, uh, Player's Handbook, you can just about call out, okay, this is from Lord of the Rings, right? And seems- you can just say, okay, that rule is from Lord of the Rings. The magic system, I don't know, but I have been told time and time again through articles and online stuff that there's a series of novels uh, by Jack Vance. And in those novels, wizards learn magic like d d magic. They have to memorize every morning. They have so many types. I'm sure they didn't call them levels, but they have, you know, I can memorize a couple of this power, a couple of this power. And that's where that terminology Van Cien or Van Cien comes from is from Jack Vance and the novels that he wrote that they had apparently read. Have you
0: ever seen any of those novels? I have not. Them?
1: And it's got its moments. There's things about it I like, but I can I can see the argument for doing something different. But the way that I play D&D, the way that I run D&D, is it's not a lot of battles. We we were talking before the podcast about my game. We had one complete session without any combat. And then the next section, we had one really short... I think short... you threw
0: something in right at the end, but... I don't even remember doing that necessarily. I think you you just threw us a bone. Like a,
1: like a pity combat? <laughs> So, at most, I've had two combats over two sessions, and those sessions are three to four hours each. And, yeah, there are times when I do put more combat in there. there you know, it, it goes back and forth. But in my game, the way I want to run it is it, it's not a detriment to be an early-level wizard, at least not the same as it would be in games that are heavily combat. So, a lot of it depends on the style. If you're playing a game where the, you are fighting all the time, then probably playing a 3.5 wizard would stink. In my type of game, I, I think it works, and I think it can be fun.
0: But even if you were fighting all the time, then once you got – to that higher level right. Once you get And there. especially if you if you are fighting all the time you're going to get a lot of experience faster so you're going to level faster right and then when you get you know what to sixth seventh level start getting really interesting right
1: around fifth levels where things start to get a little crazy because you get third level spells and that's where they really get kind of interesting things like fireball lightning bolt fly stone skin those there, there comes a point where the wizard can emulate any other class through spells so the power of a fighter, they can use spells that make them just as good of a fighter, if not better. The sneakiness of a rogue, they can make themselves invisible and silent. Uh, you know, and it gets to the point where the wizard can do anything, and they don't actually even need the other characters. What? That's where it kind of gets awkward again. It's like, we're, we're keeping you alive, and then you get to a point where then you don't need us anymore, and you leave us. So, so I guess,
0: is it possible that when it, or they, this was created... Um, so like we'll call it first edition or or whatever.
1: I think O D D original D and D is like the the first. O D
0: and D. Um, do you think that they were thinking, okay, w- this is somewhat of an attempt to make things equal, or do you think that they created it with the intention or the thought in their head that the classes are not equal? A wizard is not equal to a fighter, and we're not going to make the wizard equal to the fighter in this game he's gonna start start out weak at low level and then when he starts leveling he should he should not be it should not be like anything equal to playing a fighter
1: i think so and that's an opinion I, i don't have any evidence one way or the other but based on my knowledge of the game and playing it that to me is what makes sense that i can see in that mindset again going back to i know lord of the rings was a heavily influenced, you know, story-influenced D&D early on. And you think about Gandalf. You know, Gandalf, if if you think about it in D&D terms, was probably a very high-level, like, an arch-wizard. He could do things that none of the other characters could accomplish. What
0: was the, the, was it a Balrog? The Balrog. The Balrog. Okay. He he fought and killed, it was basically a demon, wasn't it? Um, that was, you know, a hundred times bigger than he was, if any other one of the characters in the... um, Fellowship In the Quartet. uh, Fellowship of the (laughs) Ring. In the Fellowship. If any other one of the characters would have had to fight that, they would have been killed. Right.
1: Or they would have ran away. They couldn't have defeated it, I don't think.
0: But, you know, a, a wizard is a wizard. Gandalf is Gandalf. He is not that class is not like anything else. And I think
1: that was kind of their mindset is that you, you pay for that power up front. You have to find a way to survive. And in some ways the reward comes from surviving. Can you play a wizard with, you know, again, original D and D you had D four hit points plus constitution modifier. You rolled for that. So you could easily have a wizard with one hit point. You know, that's the type of thing where if you get stung by a bee, it would kill you because in D and D you always take one point of damage. So I think they thought, okay, we're gonna make this character really weak, but if you can play it, if you can survive and we're going to reward your skill as a player by eventually making you more powerful than anybody else. And I think overall long-term it makes sense. But again, D&D isn't always played that way. And I've, I've had it before where you'll play a game of three or four sessions and you'll start over. You'll play a game of three or four sessions, you'll start over, play a game of three or four sessions, start over. So some people like me, I've never gotten a wizard in 25 years of playing to the point where I am that supreme badass, but because I don't really focus on combat, I'm more interested in story doesn't really bother me. But yeah, at some point in time, I would like to have a character that I took from from yeah. low levels all the way up and felt rewarded, where if I start that powerful, then it's a it's a smaller gradation, and I wouldn't feel as much reward. Mm-hmm. So I think it's play style. I think people who like to play that don't care. People who don't want to play that do. So I, just, I was just
0: trying to think of, of what like why does that, I was just trying to think of why does there need to be like a, a moral argument for um, we need to make um, the classes more equal so that the so that the players around the table um, can contribute more equally to the to the battle when there's just there's nothing there's nothing equal about, about the them. different classes. So one
1: of the arguments that I heard, which I thought was kind of funny, is is imagine playing Monopoly where depending on which token you picked it had a difference in the game like the car had the ability to move farther than anyone else at the top at gave you a bonus to buying properties you know that kind of thing Mm -hmm. that's kind of what you're thinking about if you're playing a combat driven game then the classes are unequal and it would negatively you you'd want the car because it was the best you wouldn't ever want to play something else you know if there was a mechanical adjustment but if you're playing a role-playing game where there is combat, there's non-combat, there's story, there's challenges, you know, there's all this other stuff happening, then I think it balances out over the entire game, not just in combat. Because the same thing could be said for a rogue who has to get flanking and has to well, get backstabbing. The, but when I think of a rogue, I think of the guy who's the dashing, charismatic con man who's get, like face man on the eighteenth. He's getting information. He's, he's, you know, wooing the ladies. You don't do that in combat. You do that out of combat. So if I get to do all this cool, fun stuff as a rogue, you know, role-playing and, and wooing people and opening locks, then why should I also be as good as fighting as the fighter who just stands there while I do this out of combat? You're I, laughing at me for saying wooing, aren't you?
0: No, I was laughing because I had this thought of Mr. Monopoly being the DM. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Top hat and a monocle? Yeah.
0: No, but the, differ- the difference between that, we're using the Monopoly reference, is that in Monopoly you have four people sitting around a board that are each playing to win for themselves. Um, so the different classes are in competition with each other. If you were going to say the different tokens represent a different class, then the different tokens or classes would be in competition with each other in monopoly. whereas in d and d you the you're point together. the point is to have a party that is trying to succeed together so so
1: what you're saying is all the people who are complaining about wizards are selfish assholes, yes. All
0: right, I think we I think we're done with that topic. Let's move uh, on. Hold on, just <laughs> just like the the presidential debate. Just give me two. Just give me two. Shut up, Jim Lars, Shut yeah. up. Uh, God, they were stomping all over him. <laughs> it was sad. I watch. haven't seen it, but I heard. Um, just to wrap it up would be that uh, you know I lost it. Thanks. Um, right. When you're working for the goal together, it seems okay that they're not equal because. You need – each class will play its own part in the long adventure. Like, the fighter is there because he's going to help the wizard stay alive. He's going to be up front to make sure that – I mean, because let's say you were – you started a campaign, and it was like a dungeon crawl, and you had four zero-level – it's four first-level wizards. Everybody played a wizard. You probably wouldn't make it past the first game.
1: But I want to. I actually want to play D&D – where everybody plays a wizard, different style, <laughs> and it worked. Like, I think that would be so much fun to do. And actually DM, I would love DM in that too. You think it would be possible? Yeah, absolutely. As a DM, you'd have to make some concessions. But th- that's not to say that you would have to cheat. You just, okay, what type of a game are you going to play? If, like, again, going back to my thing with Final Fantasy, if all, if all four players wanted to be fighters, then I would probably put you in a lot of really tough combats where you're fighting mm-hmm. ogres and trolls because you have that resource. If you were all playing rogues, probably more of like an urban environment, maybe there's like a murderer and you guys are trying to track them down. If you're playing all wizards, it'd probably be uh, something along the same lines where you're, you're trying to take away spells, counteract other wizards, you know, wizard versus wizard type thing. But I think it would be a lot of fun to try that, whether it's 3.5, 5th, 5th edition, a different game. I just think having a, a group of all the same class would actually be a fun way to play the game. But I agree with you that when you're working cooperatively, that's, I think that's the viewpoint you should have, but that's my opinion. It's the same thing. I like, think about some like, military movies, and you have the sniper who's a mile away.
0: The Dirty Dozen.
1: The Dirty Dozen, or I think even that terrible movie with Charlie Sheen where there's Seals, and they have the sniper named God. Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. Terrible? Okay, that terrible, terrible movie, movie.
0: Navy Seals yeah. is not a terrible it's, movie. It's a terrible
1: movie. Whatever. And you have the sniper, again, I think you called him God, where he only shot like three times. So in a role-playing game, he would be the guy who sits over there doing nothing. All of a sudden, he's like, okay, that guy's dead. But if you enjoy that type of play, then there's nothing wrong with it. I think the other people are doing their part. You do your part. But if you had that Sniper who got to shoot every round, then it wouldn't be fun for everyone else because the Sniper would have killed everybody by the third round.
0: Which would be like a, w- a wizard who has unlimited spells right. at, the low, at, at, at a low, low level. Levels. Yeah. So I
1: think it just comes down to the style of play that you like and what works for your group. And, you know, and maybe some of that's up front asking the DM, are we going to play a game with a lot of combat? And if he says yes or her, then maybe you don't play a wizard or you say, I'm going to play a wizard. But I understand that I have to resource management or manage my resources, I should say, to be an effective part of the group. And I know eventually I will be able to contribute more and eventually I'll be able to contribute the most. You just kind of have to understand that going in. So you're not disappointed.
0: All right, well, we'll go on to... I, I would also
1: quickly identify 4th Edition as a Monopoly reference. that Because people are saying 4th Edition is not a role-playing game, or 4th Edition is a role-playing game. To me, I do like 4th Edition, but I think you could make Monopoly into a role-playing game just as easily as you could make 4th Edition into a role-playing <laughs> game. All you have to do is give a background story to your token and say, okay, well, my father got, you know, his his business was taken over by an evil uh, banker, and now I want it <laughs> And every time you roll and land on a property, you have a mechanic to decide if maybe you get a, a bonus or a discount on buying that property because you role play like an interaction with the banker. Maybe you bluff them. Maybe you intimidate them. I would be terrible with that game. But that basically turns Monopoly into a role playing game. But see, now you're, you're. I don't understand
0: what the what the argument. Uh, so we, I keep wanting to move on. So but, we we, but ha- you, we
1: have not covered anything we planned on. So instead of being episode seven, a difference of opinion, it should be episode seven flame or edition wars. Maybe this will, that's all we're talking about. Maybe
0: this will be a, just we'll, this will be podcast six and a half, and we'll <laughs> we'll record seven tomorrow. A
1: sidebar. But, <laughs> episode seven. A sidebar.
0: Well, the only thing I wanted to say was um, the, the games that we played before we started this most re- these most recent campaigns when i played like 2 years ago with you those were 4th edition games right okay i don't understand where the argument comes in from people where 4th edition is not a role playing game i it seems to me like a lot where the big changes to the game are for combat uh i don't see how that affects storytelling how does it doesn't take anything out of the dm's storytelling you ability
1: my game is the biggest difference. Because in my games, even though I was playing 4th Edition, because I, I give it crap, but I did really like 4th Edition when it came out. I kind of soured on it over time. There's um, some
0: but, things that I still remember that I like about it that I wish we could have back.
1: But I, I, I played it more of a role-playing game than a lot of the games that I've, I've read about. The podcast, like I listened to a 4th Edition podcast, uh, Critical Hit, which I do enjoy the podcast. They do a fantastic job. But the more I listen to it, the more I've actually turned come to not like 4th Edition because I'm listening to how their battles play out, how long they are, how complicated they are, and there's, there's not as much role-playing as there are combats. Now, those guys do a great job, and I give them all the credit in the world, and the DM's fantastic. But if you take someone maybe who's new to DM, and they've never DMed before, and you gave them that rule set and said, hey, here you go, I would be willing to bet that most of the time all you're going to do is combat after combat after combat. The rules, there's so many rules designed to make combat equal and equitable for all classes, and there's so few rules that talk about you know, role-playing. It's not emphasized as much. I can see that someone new to the game, it would just be a combat, combat, combat
0: So I guess uh, one way to wrap it up for it, if you're trying to decide which edition you would like to start your new game in, if you, fourth edition, if, it's just, to me, they're both fine. But I guess what you're describing is that if you don't want combat to take up the majority of your, gaming sessions where it's where com when you start combat it's going to be this long process with lots you're going to have lots of rules like i remember like bloodied and marked and like all these things that you have to keep track of and remember that are going to take more time and draw it out and things like that if you're okay with that because it's that's like the numbers crunching Mm -hmm. if you're if you like that then fourth edition would be fine
1: right it's a it's a great tactical miniatures game and, you, it, and,
0: if, but, and it doesn't have to mean that it takes anything away from your storytelling. Right. It's I, just going to mean that your combat sessions are probably going to be longer. going to be longer, you're right. Whereas if you don't necessarily want that and you want to be able to do more storytelling and you don't want combat to take up the majority of your sessions, you should right. probably go to 3.5. A lot
1: of the articles that I've read about 4th edition recently or kind of in the past now but as it was getting kind of to the end of the life cycle – ways to make combat faster like almost every article was like the combat out became one of the big topics where there there was an option to ending combat other than just killing everybody there was something else you always in you know put something else in there that there's an environmental effect if you could trigger this it would kill everybody for you or you only had to fight everybody off so long like a like a zombie attack type thing where you had 12 rounds as long as you kept everybody alive you win uh, protecting the, the prisoner or escorting somebody they kept coming up with ways to make combat faster because it was taking so long and the number one thing that i saw and again this is listening to that podcast as well is everybody had to move a minor and a standard action and because it's a resource game most people didn't want to lose out on using a resource so they would move and they would attack and then be like okay what do i want to do for my minor And you would have like a five-minute discussion around the table with people saying, okay, well, you could do this with your minor, or you could do this, or you could do this. So it it was something that had a very small effect on the overall outcome of the game, but it was taking all this time within the game to make sure that you didn't, like, no one wanted to go out, I just won't do anything with my minor. Because it's there, you want to use it some way, make it effective, and it just took way too much time. And then on top of that, as you get higher in levels, particularly if you have a class like the Bard, they have a lot of interrupt powers. So there's a lot of times where the demon will roll, okay, I hit you for seven. Well, you know, how close were you? Uh, well, I hit him within three. Okay, well, Like triggered I'm, abilities? Right. Well, now I'll use this, which gives him a plus four to his AC, so now you miss. So you took you five minutes to determine nothing happened. <laughs> You're right. You're right. And again, yeah, it slows the game down. It, there are people, and I'm sure there's groups who love that, and it's a, it is a very tactical game and <laughs> I can imagine if you're good at that and you spend a lot of time using, putting synergies together, like, okay, your character does this. I have this power. When this happens, we can do this. It, almost like a Magic the Gathering game I'm... where you're working together. I can I can see that being fun. It, to me, it's not a role-playing game. It's a tactical miniatures game. So play it if that's what you want to do. And if you're a really good DM, you can probably do both and make them story elements. But
0: I could also see how... Um, there's so many things to keep track of in combat that it will, takes away from if you're trying to add any kind of role playing element to combat because yeah. now you're not thinking about your character at all you're thinking about uh, uh, your dailies um, you're thinking about your triggered abilities yeah all, you, you have all this other thing that it's like two completely separate games
1: it is and we've we discussed this in our earlier podcast it's almost like you can be role playing and whenever there's a combat you like time out you move to a different table yeah. or you pick up an Xbox controller and you're playing like a fighting game there and then when you win you turn back to your role playing table there there's there're two completely separate games and i just think they need to kind of bring them back t- together
0: i still would like i had this idea this just i don't this came to me within the past week i think i don't know how but do you remember in mario 3 when you would pass a level and then it would play like the spinning it was like the um oh yeah the, the little um the slot machine slot machine yes. where you get the three things. stars yeah i i want to i wish i had that game but since i want to incorporate something like that into a D game that i dm someday where maybe you walk into like a gambling place or you sit down at a gambling table and then you can go over to a game in my basement and see it, and it's a chance it's a right. chance game and see if you you know win anything from it or, right. or anything like well, that
1: because I know we're running long on time. Again, we've not touched on the topic we wanted. So do you want to go
0: to it and be shortened? Or do you just want to keep
1: I think we'll keep it for next time. So w- one of the things I'll, I'll throw out is like a DM tip. Uh, use this sparingly. But if you have a character who wants to be a gambler, who's like a thief or just a charismatic other character, or maybe just a dirtbag thief, a liar, scumbag, who wants to play like a, a game of chance, a game of poker, and they want to cheat. So the way that I have found to do it and I, i'm probably stealing this from somebody else so I'm, I'm not trying to take credit for it but you actually play a couple hands of poker now obviously you don't want to turn your entire game into poker because the other players don't care or it takes too long so what i would say is each hand represents like an hour of game time so at most you play four or five hands because that would be like the entire night mm-hmm. and then you allow the person to roll their cheat roll whatever they want to do whether it be bluff intimidate slot of hand and then you set whatever the DC is based off of the people they're playing with and how good they are. And for every success they have, they get an extra card. So for example, if you're playing like five card draw, you get five, I get seven. And then I make my best five card hand out of there. And if I win that, that kind of uses that ability to cheat, but it's still, you still have the chance to lose. And I think it's a little bit more interactive and it can be fun. And then there's always the chance that somebody else will notice that they have extra cards and can call them out on it like hey you're cheating and they actually physically have seven cards versus five i just think it has a way to make a mechanic kind of interesting uh, a little bit interactive and keeps the game going so it doesn't take forever so that's how i would use like they're trying to cheat at a game a, a chance or if it's dice maybe you give them four dice they roll instead of two and they pick the two they want something like that
0: before you started talking about that you mentioned something that stuck in my head while you were talking about that
1: <laughs> we saw you stopped listening and you were thinking and i was
0: thinking about this because you said something that was really that i just thought was interesting and that's that uh when in D when you go like when you start combat it's kill everything yes nothing survives and it, I, like uh now that i'm thinking about it that's just such a funny thing because i couldn't imagine Stopping combat with one creature left and being like, "Do you give up?" <laughs> <laughs> like, that doesn't seem possible right. to me. It, it, so, do you think that there, there's there's an unrealistic sense to it where anytime we encounter anything, we're gonna mur- it's it, everything gets killed no matter what. Well,
1: I think I think that comes back to the DM and the story they're trying to tell. If you if this is the first time you've ever played D&D and you get into a battle and you're like, okay, well, i gonna leave one of them alive because I want to interrogate him, And the DM's like, well, he's dead. And <laughs> because they don't have anything planned. They're like, I yeah. don't know what this guy would say. So they make sure he's dead or they make sure he gets away. <laughs> he stabs himself. He's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> my family, without you, I am nothing. <laughs> so as a DM, I've just taught my players, kill everything because there's never going to be a reason to keep someone alive. If on the other hand, if you're the DM who does that opposite, who makes sure that someone stays alive, they create a very interesting situation that you know becomes a very cool NPC uh, that you interact with, and it's fun. Then they've taught you to look for things outside of combat.
0: So would it be fair if you had, if you had ten monsters in a room, they were let's say they were all minions, but you know you wanted to get information, not that you wanted to get information, but let's say as a DM there was maybe a small piece of the storyline that you would like to get to your players. So they kill all 10 guys. But then after they kill them, they're standing in the room and you're like, you see one of them still breathing. Are you, do you think you, is it? Is that cheap to like, well, no, we killed all of them. Well, no, this one's still alive. No, I killed all, you said he was dead.
1: (laughs) I think from a story element, that's something I could see as a a, DM. What I would probably- Or do you think the players would- Oh, he's still breathing? They run yeah. over to they him just go and just double, yeah. double tap everybody. <laughs> yeah. that's, the, that's what the wizard does. Now, they're, even
0: they're, when they do kill someone, they're still going to hit them to make sure they're dead. <laughs> exactly.
1: It's a d- zombie, zombie double tap. Yeah. So that's what the wizard does. They cast magic missile round one, and every other round they just go around and just stab whatever else has already fallen. <laughs> But I think what I would probably do as a DM is if you're fighting 10 monsters and I want you to capture one of them, once eight of them are dead, the other two are going to drop their weapons and say, we surrender. And see how you react. And, you react. and you're probably going to cut them in half. And then I'm like, all right, well, so much for that plot thread. So
0: there was, was not exactly like that, but in, in the last game we just played of yours, we went, we, our characters went to um, a, a seaport mm-hmm. and there was a bunch of slaves loading uh, cargo ships, cargo ships with ore. And one of the in, in the town that, or the city that they're in, there's these princes and all the princes are dwarves. So one of the dwarves came out on a um it looked like a like a big cat, but it was an Earth Elemental. Earth
1: Elemental shaped like Battle Cat from Human. And And
0: um, our first reaction was to kill it. Kill it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so um, we killed it. But then you stopped combat right after that by basically giving us an impossible scenario. Like yeah. you were just like, OK there's 60 earth elementals (laughs) that all come up around you and everywhere we moved. It would move in front of you. Yeah. You just would box us in everywhere we go. And that was like, I'm assuming, first of all, I'm assuming that you weren't counting on us wanting to kill the dwarf as soon as we saw it. And then I think, and then my thought is that after we did that, you were like, well, what, what else are they going to do? <laughs> like, are they going to find something else to kill now? So, I, so I'm so i going to put a stop to it by...
1: Yes and no. Again, because we don't have a whole lot of time left. Though that's my thing is I always too focused on time. Um, I assume that you would talk to the guy. Like, in my head, I thought they're going to interact oh, with Oh, we
0: talked to him. You talked to him, all right. <laughs> with my fists. I
1: thought you guys would talk to him, and then that would give a chance for some role-playing, and you guys would get some of that story that we talked about. But I had already decided... You know games and games ago that when you got to thronehold that the dwarves who have this sort of it's not a magical it's a supernatural ability to control these elementals that was granted to them by the great ones that have left that there's a teleconnect or a telepathic uh component, so once you started attacking him, he was able to call for backup right away, even though that you didn't see that happen that's mm-hmm. what happened, and I kind of made that apparent. That the the dwarf that showed up in, in, in response was able to telepathically get the, the elemental to do whatever he wanted. So I'll let, I'll let you kill him because if I had him showed up early, he, you know, he would have stopped in the middle of the battle. So you killed him and then the reinforcement showed up. And I think that's what would happen. Like if, if I attacked you right now and you had the ability to telepathically tell 37,000 people that are all around us to come here, they would show up pretty quick. Yeah. So that's what happened. I didn't want you guys to die. And there is a big story element. I know. Again, I, I don't want to get too far into it because we can't talk about it now because I got to leave soon. But there's a lot of stuff going on with the dwarves, dwarves, dwarves. How do we say that? Nico's playing a dwarf, so that's why they reacted that way. I'll be honest. If if you were all humans, they would have attempted to kill you. But because Nico's a dwarf, and this whole city is run by dwarves, and as far as they know, they there are the only dwarves left. It would basically be like, you know, you're. Like some post apocalyptic world, you're the only survivor. You you kill zombies all the time, and all of a sudden somebody walks up like, "Hey, I'm Bob. Yeah. Like, where did you come from?" Like, there's all these questions. <clears throat> so they want to talk to him. That's the reason why they tried not to kill anybody. Is they wanted? There's a lot going on. Nico has a lot of power right now, whether he knows it or not as a character. But that doesn't mean they're not going to kill him. Hopefully, either.
0: he doesn't listen to this because next game he's going to be like. He's, I can do whatever I, I, I do want.
1: <laughs> I don't think you would necessarily do that anyways, but the story that I had decided to tell a long time ago, like I had decided everything that would happen with the dwarves and the elementals and the time travel was set in stone before you guys had even picked your characters. I didn't know Nika was going to play a dwarf. It just kind of worked out that way. Um, and it makes, I like it cause it's cool, but it, you know, that's just the way it works. So unfortunately I think we're running a little bit long on time. So again, we cannot call this uh, what we were going to call it because it, we didn't cover one thing. It's going <laughs> to
0: go on the website, but we don't even, we don't even know what happened. But, yeah. yeah. So the, what we wanted to talk about was um, the idea of sandbox Sandboxing. gaming.
1: I'm trying really hard to make this game a sandbox. And in doing so, I think I've made some mistakes early on that have made it more difficult for you guys to get invested in the game. I, I, I wouldn't it... call
0: them mistakes. I would never I would never call them mistakes. They're we the happy little
1: accidents are no God i mean say.
0: our pl- our players have made choices and you as the dm have made choices right um and i i don't know how much my, you know i have a little frustration with where the game is now but i don't know how much the other players share that right maybe i'm kind of in the minority maybe nico is thinking that it's he's having a lot of fun and so is jared right um Rob, when I talked to Rob a little bit, he only kind of shared one frustration about one thing, which was this, which is so annoying about our part, party, but we waste so much time talking about doing something and I mean, then very little time actually doing, doing stuff.
1: Yeah, I, I, And I just, but again, as a DM, I actually like that. Which is something I need to moderate because it's my My response
0: game. to that would be then, who are you DMing for? Right.
1: And that's what I'm saying. I need to moderate it because I'm, you guys are there to play in the game. I want you to have fun. It's not, it's not DM hour, story time type thing. But, but again, what we're talking about is I like to set up these very sort of ambiguous moral decisions where there is no easy answer. And, and the right answer may not be a good answer. It's like the choice between two evils. And that's kind of so. What- for
0: instance, it'll only take a few seconds to explain. But for instance, when we started the, this week's game, we had a group of slaves. That- we had who were they were bringing a shipment of ore back to their princes. Well, right. we captured them. We captured them, and Nico pretended to be a prince. So they they believed us. They thought he was a prince. Um, and now you don't know what to do. With we them. don't. We didn't know what to do with them, and we were like, well, if we because we had this plan to use their ore for something and that fell through and now we don't need it now we don't need their ore, but we were afraid like okay well if we send them back maybe they're going to get killed because the shipment's late which when we and that's probably what i think that's what triggered us to kill the dwarf at the shipping yard because you were like well they'll pay for their lives when we get back and we're like oh okay right
1: so then that's kind of what happens you were afraid okay we just let them go which is the good thing to do are they going to get killed anyway? But instead of, I don't
0: understand why our why our party doesn't have the ability. Why doesn't we each conversation start with the mindset that um, okay, let's work through this like quickly uh, to get to a a reasonable decision quickly, and then we'll execute right. it. I don't think anybody's thinking that. I right. think everybody's just thinking like. That's a I don't I don't get it I don't well, to, it's very frustrating. Well, and there,
1: there's two sides of that to me. Part of the reason why I like to do that is I think it's is kind of what makes the game fun in a lot of ways. Because if you truly didn't care about whether or not those NPCs lived or died, then to me you have no investment in the game whatsoever. They're they're truly figments of imagination. It doesn't matter. So the fact that it, you guys even at all are like well we don't want them to die that's you know that's not right. We we did something. Well, And it's going to cause them to die. So the fact that you care at least about them in that respect means that you do you are invested in the game a little bit. Not necessarily. Not necessarily as a character, but as a game. It's like playing poker with no money. You I know, eventually
0: it, threw the suggestion out. Kill to, them all.
1: No, I eventually <laughs> well, threw the you did cover su- that one at first.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I think we said we'd kill them. <laughs> um, no, but I eventually threw the suggestion out to help them because it was the only thing that I thought that Nico would go along with And I wanted to get get moving.
1: So this would would be what I suggest, and this is just an idea. I've never done this before. Maybe we will cover this as an option. Maybe we'll next podcast we can cover how it goes. Is just say I'll say as the DM, I think you guys are taking too much time on some of these decisions. So I'm going to put a clock on it. Next time you guys get in this decision, I'm going to say you got five minutes, and at the end of that five minutes, you got to go. I don't think you should do that. Okay. So then, and I
0: know I just cut. I know I know I'm not I'm not giving a better idea, but but I think that it's up to us. I I don't think as the DM, you should make the players feel like they're, I mean, let, for instance, if like, you know, I'm the one who's complaining about taking too much time, but let's say for instance, um, the other players are enjoying it. Maybe they don't mind taking, maybe they like the discussion or something. Right. I get, you shouldn't probably shouldn't press the players to meet your time standard. Right. If you, you as the DM are setting the time standard, it, what hap- needs to happen is one of us, me, me, or I don't know, It needs to just be a big boy <laughs> and say, you, you know, we're taking too much time doing this. Right. But see, the problem that I run into is now out of character, I'm affecting how the characters in game
1: Are make reaction. decisions. So again, one of the things that almost happened, like, because... Cause I felt, because we talked about this before about, you think that sometimes decisions take too much time and you have said before that you would like for me to take a more active role at some point to step in and say, okay, here's kind of what you guys, you know, here's your three options. What are you going to do? So, and what I had planned is if, if it had gone on a little bit longer, which fortunately it didn't, I was actually going to introduce another complication. Something else was going to happen that would basically have all your planning would have gone awry anyways, because this other thing would happen. <clears throat> And I do think that would help keep the game exciting, but it wouldn't have helped you guys.
0: Like Adam would show up and just murder somebody else. <laughs> no, <laughs>
1: at, well, actually, I had two things that I was thinking. One is that the guys would have just been like, F this, and just ran away. They're like, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to go tell our prince. And then we we're like, all right, we are alright we do not have to do it. Right, they're, they're, you could have either killed them because they're running away, or just like, okay, well, they, they made that choice themselves. We don't have to worry about it. Or there are actual people in the forest. There are, like, children of the forest type thing, men, men that live in the forest, That sort of sustain themselves on their own. They're they're kind of hunted by the princes, but not actively because they don't really care. They're like a resistance. There's very few small pockets of them. I was going to have one of them show up and kind of be like a third foil, and maybe they could absorb those people. But hardly, honestly, as a as a lazy DM, my God, I don't want to do that. (laughs) That, That's so much work.
0: (laughs) Just to kind of wrap it up, um, I kind of feel like my frustration is might be a little bit of a a. um, a a testament to that that you're you're the the idea that you're giving us or the sandbox that you're giving us is a really good idea and a really good game because i'm getting so frustrated with the conversations and the long decision making because i want to get to more game more stuff Uh, yeah and and we only play once a week um and every other week Yeah, we only play every other... We only play that game once every two weeks. And we only get four... It's not really four hours because we sit down at 6.30. Then we eat. Then we talk about stuff. We don't get started till 7. Then we quit at 10. So it's more like three hours of gameplay. And I've been excited. I've been thinking for the past two weeks, what's going to happen in this game? And I'm excited. And then the first thing... And then when we sit down and spend an hour... Or not an hour, but we probably spent like twenty or thirty minutes, right? Not really doing anything. It's it's really frustrating because I I want story, I want your game, right. I want a, I want story, and I want action. We I talked want, last I want time
1: the game. about my college years and and some of the games we played there. And I think one of the benefits of of my DM style and and enjoying doing that to players and giving them these quandaries that that cause them to talk is we used to play for eight hours. We take a Saturday. And, you know, we'd get up, we'd, eat, we'd have breakfast, which, you know, it was like 11 o'clock. We'd basically go to McDonald's for breakfast. We'd play till three or four. We'd stop and have a, like a lunch. We'd play till seven or eight o'clock at night. We'd have dinner and we'd come back and we'd play till midnight. So over the course of a Saturday, we could literally play D&D for eight or nine hours. You've got a lot more time to do that. Where, where, where did you meet your wife? <laughs> we met in high school. Okay. We're, we're high school sweethearts. Okay. Um, we can't do that in our in our set, setting. Maybe that's something I need to cont- constantly think about and adjust. That yeah, I want to give you those more quandaries, but I need to find a way to keep it moving a little faster. Because if you do take a good hour to have this type of discussion, it does take such a large percentage of the game away from actually stuff happening so that again that's good feedback for me to kind of keep an idea of what i'm doing and how I'm i doing think it. that
0: you're doing i don't think it's necessarily something that you need to change in order for us to um like the stepping in and maybe speeding up is fine but i but what we were talking about on the last podcast was how it's i think that it's better when you slow down are mm-hmm. we the as the players need, need to, to speed up, up.
1: And that's something we can work on. I think it's a combination of above board, talking to each other as players, talking to each other as characters in the game. And there's some things, and I don't know the investment that you guys have, but one thing I would like to do is after each game, I would kind of like for you guys to send me an email, just a quick like, hey, here's what I liked. Here's what I didn't like. Here's what my character thinks about what just happened. So if I kind of like, for example, right now you guys just found out this big revelation that you've actually been transported in time a thousand years and you just now found that out. So if you guys could tell me on email after the game, kind of like what that means to your character and like what that does to their goals and motivations, then each time we play a game, it will help me be prepared for what you want to do. Cause sometimes as a DM, I don't know either. Like I listen to you guys talk, I'm figuring out, Oh, well that's what they want to do. And I'm kind of making adjustments into the game as we go, which slows me down a little bit as well, you know, cause I'm, and sometimes it makes me uncomfortable cause I, I'm not sure what to cover Again, so I, so so, I think okay. it, would, it well, would help me if if you could if you gave me more information about what. Well, I think this is what Samson wants to do, and Nico says this is what Rook wants to do. I can kind of formulate that, and so when the game starts, I can kind of solidify. Okay, here's your core issue right now. This is your core decision to make, and then once that decision's made, we can just go with it.
0: I'm not going to promise that I'm going to do this, and, but I think. But would it wouldn't it be interesting if I wrote? An in character letter to the like, <laughs> like a first person letter as Samson, like to the other players, like, what are we like? Uh, what are we doing? Like,
1: so do this for me write that letter, and in game, you're basically gonna be like, okay, guys, we're fucked up. I can't deal with this right now. And Can I stand
0: up and give a speech? No, no,
1: you like you lay it on the table, you stab your dagger into the table and leave it there, and then you, you like walk away and you're like, you let me know when you're ready to make a decision. And then they'd read it as characters, because that's kind of your characters. Like you you don't want to be a leader. In in your background, you used to be a leader and it didn't turn out well and now you 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 don't want to be that voice. But maybe it's gotten the game to the point where you feel like god i'm still the best best option we got and you need to find a way to kind of i think that would be cool so i will give you an experience points bonus for doing that well i didn't want i didn't want to i hate writing
0: so it was a good idea but i didn't want to promise that i was going to do it so next time
1: we're going to read the letter that you write
0: i that's what i was actually
1: thinking was maybe i'll read it on the podcast all right all right well i think we've probably gone as long as we can Appreciate maybe we'll it. talk about
0: sandbox gaming next time maybe I'll, we won't i
1: still want to dedicate one whole one to D next and just cover kind of but what's we have out to play dD next first i don't think we have to cover it, play it but just talk about the rules and the changes because they did one really well, recently be. that i think is a genius like i'm so freaking happy about one of the changes they just talked about making so i'd love to, to cover that um you know we're still working on the live play game i don't know if it's going to work we've tried two or three different options and so far My basement just doesn't work, which one good thing is now that it's kind of getting cold, we can turn the air conditioner off. So maybe the the furnace won't kick on for a while.
0: But but wait a minute. But then the furnace, the furnace
1: is going to run. No, so I'm saying, well, basically, well, right now it's just off completely. It's kind of in that middle fall season. So the heat's not on and the air conditioning's not on um maybe you should
0: just uh cough up the 20 grand to build a soundproof room and then we'll be able to do it i
1: actually tried to get my wife to finish the basement we we this is getting off so we, we got some money out of my savings to um get our bathroom upstairs fixed and while i had the guy there doing the estimate i had him do an estimate for the basement too just to see how much it would cost was it was it huge 15 grand for that's a whole thing yeah that's that's not for a a room for us that's just to finish the basement which would make it a lot better of an area to record in yeah so it's not going to happen we're getting the bathroom done instead but anyway so there's a lot of things i want to talk about i do want to talk about the open sandbox there's a lot of stuff there that we have to cover so let's see if you and i can get together in a couple days because again next weekend Val's out of town we're playing the saturday game so maybe we could do something oh yeah that's right uh maybe even that sunday we could get together again all right so thanks for listening Please go to iTunes if you're listening to the podcast and you like what you're hearing. If you have suggestions, if you have things you want us to cover, uh, we do have a Twitter feed. We both have email addresses. It's michael at dndacademy.com or evan at dndacademy.com. iTunes, we're still looking for some more reviews and ratings to help us get to the top of the list. And again, Twitter, if you send me something you want us to cover, I'll guarantee we'll cover it next time. Sort of,
0: And also real quick, um, we just wanted to give a shout out to, um, was it, DM pa- Panu, Ma- P-A-N-U, Panu, Panu and yeah. Eddie. And Eddie, which I haven't seen Eddie's. I was looking for his comment on the website. Today. Well, his
1: comment was, I don't know where to put my comments. So that, that's <laughs> probably why you can't find it.
0: Yeah, but just, uh, um, we really, those are our two first um, Un- unsolicited comments. And we really appreciate you guys listening. And uh, we really appreciate you leaving comments. Yep.
1: So thank you guys and we will talk to you soon.
0: See you next time.